Hello, fellow cinephiles. My name's Ben, and this is the Real Movies Podcast. So, this is going to be the last episode of the Real Movies Podcast for 2016. And uh, so, I wanted to do something a bit special. I'm not going to talk about um, any news or anything like that, even though there's been a lot of new trailers coming out, and uh, some casting news, and, and other things. Star Wars is out now. Um, I've, I've started doing, on my blog, um, a new series of articles called My Day with Film, and basically it's just been kind of a creative outlet for me, writing these diary entries of sorts, um, chronicling my daily interactions with, you know, film news, and uh, Movies in general, whether I watch something or I go to, you know, go to an event or something like that. Um, and it's just a lot of my personal opinion about things. And um, so, yeah, I think I've got a unique perspective and I think they're fun to write and fun to work on. And uh, people seem to be liking them. So, um, yeah, you can a lot of the stuff that I would be talking about in, in, in an episode like this you could probably go back and read in some of those articles on my blog. Um, the URL for that is, as always, therealmoviesblog.blogspot.com. That's Dan's favorite uh, website. So, um, yeah, go ahead and check that out. And so, in this episode, I'm going to briefly discuss the outcome of Frankly Done Network's 300 Movie Challenge. Uh, and then I'm going to go through my top ten list of the best movies I saw in 2016. So, for the 300 movie list, um, Dan and Frankie have talked about it in the past on uh, previous episodes of this show, and also, um, I believe, on Let's Talk About It and the Fantasy Reality Show, um, but they've been competing all year to watch 300 movies this year. Um, they can't repeat, they can't... Uh, I think that, was that the only rule? No, the, here's what it says. You can go to the website, franklydone.com slash 300, and um, they basically just tried to outdo each other. I think a couple of them they watched together, but uh, otherwise they've been on their own. And uh, so one of the other caveats, too, was that if they went to go see a movie in the theater, and then it came out on like Blu-ray or something. They could not, they could rewatch it, but it wouldn't count. So like Frankie said that uh, he's been sitting on Batman versus Superman. He's got the three-hour cut at home, but he's been sitting on it because he already saw it in the theater and knows it won't count to his three hundred total. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I think it's uh, this is a really fun thing, and I wish I'd been in on it. Um, but I. They, I don't think we got together early enough in the year for me to be in on it, but maybe in 2017 I will be on the next uh, 300 countdown. I'll probably have this done by March or April, but um, yeah, I think it, I think it would be fun. Dan uh, won the race. Um, Frankie has watched up to 292 films. Um, the last one on his list is Elf. Seems season appropriate. Dan. Uh, has got, he's, he's crossed the 300 mark, and of course, I know he's been looking forward to this for some time, the 300th movie on his list is 300, starring Gerard Butler, the movie about the Spartans that we all liked, and, uh, and 
like freshman year of high school. So yeah, um, congratulations to Dan. Uh, he earns the 300 movie belt and he will be going, he will be putting it on the line next year, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, if you want to check out the list of everything that they've seen this year, go to, like I said, franklydone.com slash 300 and check it out. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about today was my top 10 list. I, uh, when I went to see Rogue One, I was, uh, I ran into one of my, uh, a mentor of mine and he asked me if as a critic, I was going to put together a top 10 of the year list. And, um, so I know that a lot of these are starting to come out and, uh, I've kind of hesitated putting mine together. I usually don't end up doing one until sometime in, uh, like mid January, but, um, I wanted to get one out this year and I wanted it to be part of the podcast and I thought it would be appropriate to make this one the last one of the year. Um, I want to give Dan some time to edit this before the holiday and, and all that. So, um, my list, and I will discuss, I will discuss all of these and I'll start with number 10. Um, number 10 for me this year was a film I saw at Sundance in the special presentations. It was called Cemetery of Splendor. And this was directed by a man who I believe only refers to himself as Q or just has a, has a name so long that he just kind of abbreviates it to one or two letters. And this was a really interesting picture it's um i think it's korean or vietnamese oh aw was the guy it was his little moniker that he goes by because his name is really long and hard to pronounce but um this was um it's kind of a fantasy drama about this uh this group of soldiers from um this town and uh they are all, I guess they're out on a, uh, excursion somewhere in Thailand and, um, they all are stricken with this strange illness that causes them basically to just sleep. So they're all basically in comas, except that like no, no physical traumas really happened to them. They just all f- like slept and haven't woken up. And, um, so they're taken to this, um, kind of ramshackle hospital facility that's overseen by these women. And, um, I think one of the guys wakes up and, um, ends up kind of having an odd, uh, relationship with one of the girls that oversees them. And then, um, the rest of the time, I think there's an older woman that has, uh, sort of these interesting, uh, spiritual reflections that are presented in kind of a fantastical way. And, um, there's just some really breathtaking cinematography in this and just some really inventive use of the sets. Um, one of the images that really I have never stopped thinking about since I saw it was, um, they call it, the, the movie's called Cemetery of Splendor. And so it's all about kind of, you know, living out your dreams or living in a dream and what, you know, kind of questioning reality in that way. And, um, there's a, there's a great, uh, sequence where at nighttime, all these guys are in these hospital beds side by side in this building. And, um, they all kind of have these, um, like these light poles next to them. They're kind of like the IV poles, like that you'd hang the, um, the liquid bag on, but this is they kind of all change colors and glow in different ways. And, uh, 
I, I don't know, it's just really striking and um, really, really cool and uh, kind of represents some interesting things. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I'm not sure if it's on many streaming services. I think it's available through like on-demand, uh, video on-demand services. Um, there's a Blu-ray out that you can pick up on Amazon. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of a really, really striking film that uh, has never quite escaped my mind since I saw it way back in January of 2016, almost a full year ago. Um, <coughs> and I have a review of this from back when I went to Sundance. And if you want to find out more, you can uh, find that link back on the blog at therealmoviesblog.blogspot.com. The filmmaker who did this one is the same guy who made um, a standout that came out um, on the festival circuit back in 2010 called Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. And if you're, and if you follow any of the film festival circuits at all, you'll, pr you'll probably be familiar with that one. Um, so yeah, so this, uh, Cemetery of Splendor is number 10 on my list and it's definitely worth checking out if you get the chance. Um, the next one, number nine is Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden. Um, I also reviewed this one on the blog. This is a very strange psychosexual thriller, and it wasn't quite what I expected. Um, I'm not really sure what I expected. I, I didn't really look in, into anything, and um, it ended up surprising me in a lot of really great ways. Um, it was kind of disturbing here and there, and there were some parts that I didn't think were entirely necessary, but I it was just... So well, so well shot and so well choreographed and, um, just so different from everything else out there that I've seen lately that, um, I just, I had to give it a spot on this list. Um, it's a, it's about a Japanese, uh, or it's about a, I think a Korean woman who's hired to work for, uh, a Japanese heiress, but there's kind of these underpinning, there's this underpinning plot of, you know, there's this guy that wants to marry the heiress and defraud her, but there's a couple of twists that happen. Um, that you don't see coming at all, really. And, um, yeah, I just think it's, uh, so crazy and ridiculous. And uh, honestly, if you, if you go to see it and you don't watch, like, if you're a type of person that doesn't watch a ton of foreign films, um, it will, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if you'll like it if you don't really watch foreign films, but it will be so drastically different from anything else that has been out there. Uh, that it's definitely worth checking out if you feel bored by, you know, the superhero films and everything else that's out right now. So that's The Handmaiden. And then, um, number eight is Lion, which is, um, a film about a young man from India who is a lost child and, um, he ends up being adopted by, um, parents in Australia. So he grows up in Australia and then he, um, uses Google Earth to locate his village, um, back in India. And thus, uh, he's reunited with the family that he hasn't seen in 25 years. Um, this was just a really, uh, kind of a really emotionally arresting film. This was Dev, Dev Patel is the star of this film. You might recognize him from, um, uh, like the best exotic Marigold Hotel and Slumdog Millionaire. And, um, his mother is Nicole Kidman, uh, his Australian mother. And, um, both of them are just absolutely magnificent in this. Um, I think Dev Patel is better in this one than he was in, uh, in Slumdog Millionaire. 
Um, the cinematography is also really great. Um, it's the same guy that actually shot Rogue One. If you thought Rogue One looked really good, and you've yet to see this movie Lion, be on the lookout because it's um, it's great. And um, yeah, I just think it's 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 very cool and it's very kind of with our time in terms of uh, you know the use of technology and um, how its presence has can kind of help everything and. Um, I don't know, I just thought it was really interesting, and it's just kind of a really cool story. It's like a far less cynical episode of Black Mirror, um, and just kind of more, even more emotionally charged, and, um, yeah, I think if you see it, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. Um, and then at number seven, um, I almost hesitated to end up putting this on the final list, because I have a, you know, I've got a lot of movies that I enjoyed this year, um, but I remember, you know, thinking back to when I first saw um, this film, I was just so floored by it. And at the time, it was the single best movie I'd seen all year. And this is The Birth of a Nation, um, Nate Parker's movie about the Nat Turner Rebellion. And that comes in at number seven on my list. Um, it's been a, obviously a source of controversy since pretty much since it was announced. And then... Um, but the finished product, I think, is really great. I got more out of it. I saw it, like, three times, and I got more out of it than um, I did with 12 Years a Slave, which won the Oscar for Best Picture a couple of years ago. Um, I think the acting in it is tremendous. Um, I think, I, I don't know, somehow the story is just more riveting, or the execution um, is just really great. It doesn't really overstay its welcome, I don't think. Um, it kind of tells you what you need to know and moves on. But it also tells you what you need to know in a really beautiful way, I think. Um, there's uh, a lot of poetic images, and um, and I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I, I think it's a solid first directorial effort from Parker. And um, I will certainly be looking out for more, more of this guy's work in the future. Um, I, feel, I would feel bad if his, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the controversy surrounding this film hinders his career in any way or that of, or you know, any, but any of the other talented people that were involved in the making of this film. Um, and I really hope it gets, um, like a home video release. I haven't really heard anything about a Blu-ray or anything like that. Um, and honestly, I've not, I've not seen any other love for it uh, with the awards and with, um, you know, other critics lists. So, um, I think it's definitely a movie that people need to see, and I think people need to see it right now, um, in the current climate we're in. Um, it's just, it's not, it's kind of like 12 Years a Slave in the sense that it's not a movie that you will want to see over and over again, but, um, and it's not, so it's not like, you know, real entertainment, uh, but it's just so, such a crazy emotional story and such an important piece of our American history that, um, I think it's, it's worth your time. Um, at number six on this list is Pablo Lorraine's Jackie. Um, I, I don't know. This is just, I'm a sucker for, um, you know, that kind of soft filmic camera work and also just, uh, really awesome production design and, uh, and costuming. Um, and this this just kind of knocked me flat with all that. And then, you know, talking about knocking you flat, Natalie Portman is an absolute powerhouse in this film. 
Uh, I don't think anybody, this is, I think, the definitive Jackie Onassis performance. I don't think anybody could ever do justice again. Um, she is as good, if not better, than she was in Black Swan. Um, and just the movie is, I, the movie really hinges on her performance uh, so much, but she is so good that it makes the whole thing work, and um, just a really, really beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. I, you don't really see biopics done this way. Um, it's not saccharine at all. It's not, um, how do I say it? It's not really, it's, it's a little bit more artsy than your typical, like, straightforward, you know, birth to death um, bi- biopic, but uh, I, I think it works for that, all, for, all the better for it. Um, definitely worth, uh, seeing if you can. Um, at number five, is it, hold on, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, yeah, number five, sorry, I'm losing my count. At number five is, um, Sing Street, which was kind of a, like a comedy musical that came out, like, really early this year. I think it premiered at Sundance. I didn't get a chance to see it while I was there, but, um, it's, it's uh, got it's full of really great music. It's by the same filmmaker that did um, Once, and um, it's about this movie is about a uh, a young kid in Ireland who meets a really pretty girl and he wants to impress her, and so he gets a couple of friends together and they start um, a new wave band. So they're kind of like uh, who's it like Tears for Fears or something, and um, I don't I don't know it it ends in a bit of a strange place, but. Um, it's just so much fun and it's so funny and the music is, I think there were a couple of songs, especially the one, there's a song in here called drive it like you stole it that you may be familiar with. I think if it had gotten some radio play in the U S over the summer, it would have been a number one hit. Um, and I'm sure it'll be nominated for best original song at the Oscars. Um, and it, oh my god, I just it, anytime anybody mentions this film, I just get a big smile on my face because it's just so fun. Um, and it's on Netflix right now, and so you can stream it and and watch it. Everybody that has a Netflix account needs to watch this movie right away. Um, you will absolutely adore it. Um, I think until I saw Birth of a Nation, it was my number one favorite movie of the year. Um, so kind of in keeping with the comedy musical. Uh, mantra here. Number four on my list is, uh, Damien Chazelle's La La Land. Um, I didn't think it was quite as good as Whiplash, which was the last film that Chazelle did. Um, but obviously very different. La La Land is, uh, kind of in the same, you know, sort of musical comedy drama that uh, basically there hasn't been a movie like this in decades. Um, in terms of, you know, kind of the, the way that it approaches the narrative with, you know, we're going to kind of put these, the, these two really well-matched, um, leads and we're going to kind of do a romantic drama set to music, but also have funny parts in it. So it's, uh, got a lot in tune with like, uh, singing in the rain and meet me in St. Louis and stuff like that. Um, and I think Ryan Gosling's terrific. Emma Stone is fantastic in it as well. Um, and uh, what's really interesting to me about this film, too, is that if you watch Whiplash and then come back and watch La La Land, there are uh, sort of some parallels between it and um, Whiplash. And uh, in some ways, when I first saw it, I was like, you could kind of call this a, almost a semi-sequel to Whiplash. And um, uh, like Ryan Gosling's character is a big fan of jazz, and so and Whiplash was all about jazz. 
And then uh, J.K. Simmons is even in this movie as the owner of a restaurant where Ryan Gosling goes to play uh, like um, his jazz music. And so you can kind of maybe even see uh, if if you just watch La La Land, you're like, oh, that could be Terrence Fletcher, and this is you know, and this is that, and I I, I don't know, it's fun, and I'm a nerd for stuff like that. So um, but it's La La Land just looks like everybody behind it was having so much fun while they made this. Um, obviously the chemistry between Gosling and Stone is just wonderful. Um, and there are so many really great songs in this. I really love City of Stars, which I think will be an Oscar nominee. Um, Emma Stone's solo song audition is really great. And then, um, the, the opening of this film too, everybody will get a kick out of where, um, all of these people are stuck in traffic on the 405 in Los Angeles and they all get out of their cars and they do a big dance number while they're in gridlock on the freeway. It's great. Um, so that's La La Land and be sure to check that out on, uh, when, whenever it comes out, I think it'll be out in a week or two in most places. Um, and my review is on, once again, at therealmoviesblog.blogspot.com. Um, okay, so we're down to our last top three here. Um, number three is Captain Fantastic, which has Viggo Mortensen as the um, father of this uh, of this group of kids. Um, and they he's raised them out in the forest. And... Um, he, uh, their mother dies. Their mother got sick and was put in the hospital. I guess he left the woods to go take her to the hospital and she ended up dying. And, um, so the whole movie is about, you know, him kind of starting to raise his kids on the, on his own. And then, uh, at a certain point they're like, uh, he prepares them to kind of go back and visit the real world because they have to go to mom's funeral. Um, because the rest of their family is, you know, lead quote unquote normal lives. And so, um, it just kind of, it's really, uh, a really funny, uh, look at how it, it kind of makes you look in the mirror a little bit, um, and makes you think about some of the priorities in your own life and some of the priorities in, um, the, the society we live in. And, um, it's kind of a, just a funny reflection on some of those. And, uh, Viggo Mortensen is just absolutely amazing in it. And I'm glad that he's getting some, some looks. I think he got us here into SAG, uh, award nomination for his performance in this movie. Um, just another one that kind of warms your heart a little bit. And I would encourage anybody to, uh, to give this one a shot. Um, I'm not sure it's on streaming services yet, but I'm sure you can find it on video on demand platforms. Um, okay. So number two on my list is Arrival, which, um, for me, almost kind of went under the radar because um, I'm a big fan of director Denny Villeneuve. Villa, I can never pronounce the guy's name. Denny Denny Villeneuve. Villeneuve. I've heard it pronounced different ways. Um, and he's done uh, things like Prisoners. Um, he's doing the new Blade Runner that's coming out next year. Um, I think he also did Sicario last year. And um, so Arrival, I was like, oh, I didn't know this guy made this movie because I thought he'd been busy with... Blade Runner all this time, but, um, so in this movie, Amy Adams plays a linguist, uh, linguistics professor, and, um, she is called in by the military to help them figure out what, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, to help decipher this alien language. Um, there are these big kind of space, like spaceship pods that have come down, and, um, they, 
uh, are kind of giving off like they 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 want to find out what's going on, why they're there, because they're not moving. They've just kind of been stagnant for a long time. Um, so they bring her in to try to figure out what's going on. And um, what ends up happening is a series of twists and turns and, and all this and that. And they end up, you know, finding a way to communicate with these aliens and um, just some really, really cool, interesting, unique things happen um, and stuff you don't really see coming. Um, and that's kind of really cool for a big, you know, Paramount put this out in like, you know, two or three thousand screens. And um, I think it's one of the most thought provoking science fiction films in decades. Um, I think it's, it deserves as much, if not more hype than, uh, Ex Machina had last year. Um, and yeah, I, I really don't know what else to say. Amy Adams is, um, uh, phenomenal in this. I thought she was even better in this film than she was in Nocturnal Animals, which was also pretty good. Um, but, uh, yeah, that one I think is still playing in several theaters, so if you have not seen Arrival yet, I highly encourage you to do so. Okay, and then, uh, sorry, I'm getting pressed for time here, but, um, my number one film of the year is Manchester by the Sea. Um, this is a film about a man who, um, is kind of in a, in a state of arrested development, and, um, he... Uh, is like a plumber in Boston and his brother dies. And so, um, he, this guy has to go back to, um, his hometown and, you know, carry, you know, do all these things with his brother's estate. And then, um, when he goes to, uh, sit for the reading of the will, he finds out that his brother made him the sole guardian of the guy's son. So it's Casey Affleck who's got to care for his nephew. Um, and there, there's, you know, some, there's a lot of tension between them and, um, just, it's kind of interesting to see their relationships sort of evolve and unfold and, um, you know, how these different personalities kind of, uh, handle the circumstances that they're in. Um, and I think Casey Affleck is just positively wonderful in this film. Um, Michelle Williams has a supporting role. Um, it's relatively thankless from her, but, um, she's got at least one or two scenes that are just really, really unbelievably phenomenal. Um, I wish she was in more of it. Um, Matthew Broderick has a, has a bit role in this and he's, uh, it's a bit odd that he's in this film. His role is so small that I don't think they really needed to cast a big name actor for the part that he's in. Um, I, I think some of it probably got left on the cutting room floor, but, um, it doesn't hinder, it doesn't hinder this film really in any way. Um, it's, I think it's just one of the most solidly made American dramas in several, several years. Um, it's, 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 it's dense on, on a lot of levels. It, the, the characters have several, you know, different pieces to them. Even Kyle Chandler, who plays the dead brother, there's these things that you kind of find out about them through flashbacks from other characters. And it's like, you know, everything's kind of connected in a, in a, in a strange way. And you start to see these different, these different things about the characters, um, through flashbacks and with, you know, current day stuff. And, um, a lot of the current day stuff is pretty mundane. There's a, you know, uh, Casey Affleck does a lot of driving around and, um, 
you know, there's a lot of small talk and things like that, but I just, I was riveted the entire time. Um, and I know some people that, um, maybe off put by that or, um, that don't really care for like slow contemplative stuff. Um, but I really dug it. Um, and obviously it's my number one film of the year. I think it's, I think it's just a really brilliant piece of American art. And, um, I would encourage it to anybody that really loves movies to at least give it a shot. Um, you know, it's not going to be kind of your fast cutting, you know, fast talking blockbuster. It's pretty, uh, deliberately paced, but, um, it is well worth your time and well worth the effort, um, to seek it out and go see it. Um, so yeah, that is Manchester by the sea. And that is my top 10 of 2016. Um, some honorable mentions I'll just run through really quick. Um, I almost put the witch on here, uh, Moana, Kubo and the two strings, Pete's dragon, don't breathe, Hacksaw Ridge, green room and the neon demon. And then, um, some films that were kind of in the hunt were the love, Witch, Zootopia, wiener dog, the jungle book, the shallows and Dr. Strange. Um, I've got reviews up for a lot of these on my blog, so go ahead and check those out if you have the time, um, and discuss with me. If you think my list is good, if you think it's bad, um, hit me up on Twitter at the real Benny C real with two E's, or you can like, uh, the real movies blog on Facebook and we'll have a discussion there. I will share this, uh, the link to this episode on both on that Facebook page and on my Twitter feed. Um, as soon as it's available, hopefully it'll be sometime early next week before Christmas. Um, and if you're traveling, you'll have plenty of time to listen. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to some folks about, uh, what they think of my list. Um, I'm proud of it. I think it's a lot of solid movies. Um, I don't, I tried to avoid, um, having too many that were like the ones that everybody's going to have on their list. You know, I wanted to kind of have some, a uh, little bit of unique flair. Um, but obviously all 10 of these are, are ones that I really, really enjoyed. So, um, so yeah, I think that's all I've got for this year. Thank you for, uh, you know, listening with us and supporting both the real movies podcast and the rest of the frankly done network shows this year. It really means a lot to us. Um, we don't really get paid to do this. At least I don't. Um, so I do, I do this purely out of the joy for cinema and, um, the passion I have for discussion and, uh, and just great movies. Um, I know that I've, uh, promised some things in the past, maybe regarding guests and some different, uh, directions for the show. I'm hoping to get some more into that in 2017. It's been kind of an interesting year, um, for a lot of people. So, um, we're definitely looking forward to some, some cool efforts next year. Um, and we hope you will join us. I, I, for one, uh, am really, really excited. So yes, please, uh, continue to listen, please continue to discuss and hopefully we will see you again in 2017 in the wise words of someone important, do it for cinema. (laughs) 